Hi everyone, this is Charles Ojibwe with the Electroback Digital Commons Research Cooperative. And on this uh, episode of Philip Messier's Amusings, I'm going to be talking about a really cool uh, article that came out pretty recently from uh, Maggie Ableton, uh, titled A Brief History and Ethos of the Digital Garden, which just goes over, uh, you know, as the title says, uh, the history of digital gardens uh, from the 90s all the way to the present and some of the ethos that uh, have uh, have uh, surrounded uh, this notion of what is a digital garden uh, is. It's a really great article. Uh, I'll include a link to it uh, with the episode as per usual. Uh, so for this, I'm just going to be you know, reading through, giving my thoughts on it, and fan that resonate with you. Uh, Hopefully, you can leave a leave a comment or subscribe, or uh, share with your friends. That would be uh, much appreciated. So this article starts off with first, you know, just describing, you know, what led uh, uh, to uh, the creation article, or really what the impetus uh, was. And so, uh, Megan starts off with just, you know, talking about how she uh, is seeing that there's this new trend of digital gardening or digital gardens that's been creeping up. Uh, since uh, since uh, 2020, and all kind of uh, starting off, at least uh, with this article, with her own list of uh, digital gardens uh, that she compiled back in uh, April 2020, uh, which included a lot of really cool uh, personal uh, blogs and personal wikis, uh, including like Tom Critchlow's so uh, I would recommend also taking a look at uh, at the list. It includes a lot of really cool uh, personal notes. Yeah, some of them I find to be uh, pretty interesting. And so, you know, this emerging trend. And so at least the big thing is, you know, what exactly are these, you know, gardens? And why is it uh, uh, trending or at least coming up now? And what, you know, distinguishes it from what you, you know, generally just call a blog? And so the uh, at least the big difference you could say with a personal blog versus... Uh, a person's own digital garden is really just how uh, the context is described. So with personal blogs, the context is really it's based on time or uh, you know based on chronology. So everything's in you know reverse order. You know, while rather uh, with gardens, uh, it's all about uh, the relationships between uh, the content. So rather than being fixed on time, uh, they're really just based on association. So it's kind of like connecting things based on tags or uh, categories rather than just uh, time. Excuse me. And also, you know, going back to you know the order. So with uh, personal blog, everything's just based on the time and chronological order. While with gardens, you don't really have an order or at least a strict order per se. Uh, like you would get a personal blog, but one just based on the uh, associations between uh, the actual content. And uh, another important distinction too is that usually with blogs, what you get is you know uh, the end result of all the all the previous drafts <laughs> and uh, the notes that someone's been working on. While with uh, with a garden, it's kind of like a work in progress. So you kind of see how a person works their way to a to a position or work their way to the final uh, product or the final version of the article, which finally got published. So that makes uh, you know, at least to me, it makes gardens really exciting because it kind of 
allows you to work in public or learn in public. Uh, and at the same time, you're not really forced to have a great clean cut uh, article. You know, you're, you know, uh, the Guardian is just really kind of made of your thoughts, and <laughs> most of it probably looks really bad. But <laughs> you know, it lets people peer into how you uh, how you think, how you work, and this way kind of gives you a you know, allows you to be a little bit vulnerable. While with a general blog, you kind of can't uh, do that just because of people kind of like the. I'm not really sure if it's people, you know, something that an audience expects or just that it's just an overall expectation of a blog is that it's usually supposed to be, you know, final, well done, cut, you know, once the article's out, it's like it's not supposed to be updated or changed ever. So, you know, so those are some differences between gardens and uh, and personal blogs. And uh, at least to me, I really do like the, the, the distinction and at least how they're uh, described. And so, uh, Megan kind of goes, you know, f- you know, after describing the difference between a uh, a garden and uh, a personal blog, goes into uh, the history of uh, of, uh, of digital gardens. And so, this takes us all the way back to uh, the 1990s. And it's a really uh, interesting point uh, that uh, Megan Big brings up about neologisms. Uh, which is really just a word to describe a phenomenon when we don't really have a word for it <laughs> uh, at all. So it's you know a really interesting uh, phenomenon and something I think it's really cool, especially in the in the internet culture, as you'll see people just kind of make up new words uh, to kind of supplant uh, old words or to describe new things which are going on and. Uh, in internet culture, so for example, like uh, like in uh, the crypto space, you have like the word uh, "hodl," which stands for "hold on for dear life," or uh, or for or for something else, kind of like that. But I know a lot of people, you know, generally say it's "hold on for dear life." Yeah, once it's like "hodl," was it? I was meant to describe this phenomenon of everyone, uh, you know, trying uh, trying to encourage everyone to hold their bags and not uh, not sell when the the market's down. I mean, it's sort of probably, you know, there might be another, you know, older term for it, but, you know, here's HODL, this neologism to explain how, the, you know, this emerging phenomena in the in the crypto space. You know, it could also be happening in other spaces, but, you know, it's really a, a interesting use of a, a neologism just to explain this phenomenon, you know, with these new words, these new terms, and uh, really just showing the creativity and the openness of, uh, of language and the ability for us to make our own little... Uh, dictionaries and glossaries to help explain uh, really the world around us and how it's uh, constantly evolving. And uh, Maggie has this really great uh, uh, passage, which I'm going to uh, uh, include here uh, in, the po- in, the, in the podcast. So, quote, uh, language is always a response to the evolving world around us. We expand it when our current vocabulary fails to capture what we're observing or have a particular desire for how we'd like the future to unfold. Naming as a political act as much as a poetic one. End quote. I think that's just a wonderful passage, uh, just talking about you know just the extendability of language and just you know like what really this language forces to help us kind of describe the world around us and especially with neologisms, you know, you have these new things happening and you're like, you know, are they really new or are they old? And you know, going back to the phrase, you know, everything old is new and everything new is old. 
Well, it's just always kind of funny because you see, you know, old things come back again in a new form, and you see, and you're just like, wait a minute, weren't people talking about this before? But they're calling something different now. It's this, so it's it's also something for me. I I find personally fun to see. Okay, and so you know, going to history, you know, we head back to the 1990s, uh, and so you know, we start off with uh, with uh, hypertext. Uh, so. Uh, Maggie starts uh, uh, starts it off with uh, Mark Burns' 1998 essay, uh, "Hypertext Gardens," which was uh, one of the first uh, articles to uh, to mention digital gardens. Uh, so, uh, hypertext gardens was really about uh, you know, how can you organize uh, information or at least content uh, on the internet. In a way that uh, and uh, so, uh, well enhances uh, the user experience. So this way, people can roam around the the internet without kind of like uh, getting lost, <laughs> uh, uh, per se. So uh, you know, getting lost, but also just like having like kind of knowing your way around, uh, you know, the web. So you know, you're like well, so you don't just kind of get uh, uh, misled. So this uh, uh, as a kind of uh, also talks about, or at least involves this problem, which you know was uh, was uh, thought to be apparent uh, in the the nineties, called the, the navigation problem, which was you know the, uh, an issue about how you could give uh, uh, web users enough guidance to uh, for, to explore the web without forcing them into predefined browsing experiences, and uh, you know, that's a almost a direct quote from uh, from the article. So that's kind of what was going on uh, back then in the 90s when, uh, uh, when uh, Bernstein you know, put out his essay, Hypertext Gardens. So you know, it wasn't really about you know, really like personal knowledge uh, <laughs> uh, blogs or a way for people to show off their uh, personal notes or their uh, you know, personal thinking, but really just like how do we get people to be able to easily navigate the web without... <laughs> uh, without uh, you know, forcing them into uh, you know, certain browsing experiences. So uh, yeah, so it's pretty interesting just to see like you know that's you know uh, definition of semantic web, uh, and you know compare it to you know what we have now. It's like oh that looks like for something completely different. So uh, so that's where like the, like the term kind of gets first well pretty much gets first used and that's kind of like the first definition as you know how to uh, get around this uh, navigation problem and so uh, and so just going to the navigation problem big thing you know how do you make it that people can like explore the web in a way that's not super constrained pretty much uh, and so uh Back to our goal, you know, Maggie you know, talks about uh, the part that you know, Mark Sessie comes out, deals with learning, you know, terms out there, and it disappears for a decade. And then we go, uh, you know, next decades in the 2000s, uh, you know, once uh, Twitter uh, comes up, uh, and so the term digital gardening starts to reappear again. And so, uh, so April 2007, we got some tweets. <coughs> You know, some people tweeting, and so that's still like the early days of Twitter. And so you have some people, uh, you know, using uh, the term digital gardening in their tweets. So the first uh, t- 
tweets uh, defining digital gardening. Uh, it comes up in uh, April 2007 by uh, Rory Sutherland, uh, or Sutherland. And uh, Rory Sutherland defines uh, digital gardening as faffing about sinking things, defragging, like pruning for young people. So when I first read it, I was like, well, all right, what's faffing? <laughs> uh, so faffing, uh, uh, you know, and it's actually pretty nice because uh, Maggie includes like a, a note about what faffing is so that people can figure it out. Uh, you know, faffing uh, means mucking about without clear direction or uh, useful outputs. So that's uh, faffing. You know, hopefully <laughs> that becomes a part of your, your vocabulary and you find that to be a, a fun route to use. I'm, tr I'm gonna try to figure out how to put that in my own vocabulary. Term at the time, uh, uh, pretty much just kind of means uh, digital maintenance, which is, you know, just clean up your digital space. But uh, at least from that, the article feels like, uh, and so that Maggie points out that this is probably more of like a tangent of the term digital guards. It doesn't mention uh, anything about the original uh, uh, use of the term back in the 1990s. So, you know, this is probably just a tangent and probably just re uh, relate to the fact that Twitter time was really, really small. So it could just be some of these people were like in the same, you know, social groups using the same uh, uh, term. So might not necessarily have been uh, uh, really mainstream at the time. All right, uh, all right then moving on from there, the next decade, um, you know, finally go to uh, 2015. And we have the main man, Mike Caulfield. So at the 2015 Digital Learning Research Network, Caulfield uh, delivers his keynotes on The Guardian and the Stream, a techno-pastoral, which eventually becomes a, a hefty essay, which kind of defines uh, our uh, current definition of, uh, of digital gardening. So to Caulfield, uh, really what digital gardening is and uh, is, is that you know it's really a way for uh, people to think about your know, online behavior around information. It's really about a way for people to accumulate their personal knowledge over time and then explore space, which I think is a pretty awesome definition. To be honest, like that's is uh, that's definitely pretty cool, and it's one of the one uh, one of the parts I really do like about uh, you know just the web in general. Just like you, know, you see, some people just make these databases. Or, uh, you know, kind of like, also with, like, Wikipedia and going on rabbit holes. You know, it's just like, you know, there's all this information. It's uh, in one place and you just explore. So I always find that to be a, a very fun thing about uh, about the web, being able to dive into rabbit holes. And so Caulfield's uh, main argument summarized here uh, in the article is that uh, we've been swept away by streams, uh, which is the class of information to single-track timelines of events. So kind of like a Twitter feed excuse me, Twitter feed, Facebook feed, you know, even uh, email. So, you know, just feeds and, you know, soundtrack, timeline. And so, you know, streams themselves, you know, aren't necessarily bad <laughs> uh, all the time. But uh, one, you know, one problem is just that, uh, you know, streams are really just about, you know, what's kind of happening right now or what's going on with, uh, you know, during the day. But they're not necessarily very good at helping people uh, accumulate their knowledge and connect knowledge uh, over uh, over time. So 
the garden kind of acts as a, as a counter to the stream, a place where you can uh, you know, connect your inf information and grow uh, your knowledge uh, over time. You know, uh, you know, how fast that grows is really kind of uh, uh, really up to you uh, because you know, once again, it's a personal knowledge base. So yeah, and so with gardens, that kind of gives us the ability to, uh, you know, as I was saying a little bit earlier about the rabbit holes, since everything's based on context, you can you know jump from one place to another related place, so you're not trapped by uh, by time. So instead of having to look through dates, you just go by associations, which makes it a lot easier to navigate uh, knowledge, especially well, at least in my opinion. <laughs> so that's one of the really cool things about uh, about gardens, and they're kind of are they kind of are meant to work like a wiki, so you know, everything's you know. Well, hyperlinked or uh, you know everything's linked together, you know, and somewhat somewhat you know uh, grab shape or something. But <laughs> you know it's all meant to be linked, and people can jump from one uh, you know one place to another. Then in 2018, uh, you know uh, Maggie, uh, you know Maggie's a uh, 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 little uh, little Twitter sphere <laughs> or uh, her little. Uh, uh, space uh, uh, and Twitter uh, started talking about digital gardens, and so people were talking about uh, Caulfield's article and talking about uh, ways we can, uh, you know, make uh, uh, digital gardens and kind of get away from uh, from blogs. So she highlights uh, Tom Critchlow's 2018 article of digital streams, campfires, and gardens, where he talks about. Uh, you know about how we uh, consume and produce information, and uh, you know, uh, kind of just going off of uh, Caulfield's uh, article. And so, one uh, interesting point that he makes, uh, you know, uh, you know, so uh, is that you know there are gardens and then there are uh, campfires. So gardens are spaces for individuals to you know accumulate their knowledge and connect them uh, contextually. While campfires are conversational spaces to uh, exchange ideas, uh, which aren't uh, fully formed yet, so you know that's a you know a really cool thing. I kind of I really kind of do like the idea of the of the campfire. Uh, so uh, you know, so that could be like really anywhere before people are just talking to each other. So you know, uh, so like Discord, uh, Slack, uh, Telegram. So yeah, I just thought that was an interesting thing to uh, to uh, to mention. And then after that, we get Joel Hook's uh, article, "My Blog's a Digital Garden, Not a Blog," in two thousand nineteen. Uh, excuse me, early two thousand nineteen. Uh, Joel uh, really focuses on how you should go about uh, digital gardening. So really, the process of uh, of digital gardening and just letting your uh, uh, you know letting your uh, knowledge just slowly accumulates and uh, you know just growing uh, your ideas from you know just from a you know, from a seedling to a to a tree and I feel also if I talk about it growing from growing like that might uh, uh, might be a good analogy <laughs> to, to help thing about digital gardens so you know just like an actual garden you, know, you plant the seed and then it starts sprouting, and you know, hopefully you uh, pour enough water and give enough, you know, uh, enough lights, uh, so that uh, the the seed will actually uh, sprout and the plant will be healthy. <laughs> and then, 
another uh, you know really uh, nice article mentions Amy Hoy's how the blog broke the web. Uh, so one of the uh, interesting things about the article is that you know she just talks about blogs and how you know just the format of the blog itself might might itself have been a problem. Uh, so. Uh, uh, so in the article, uh, and then uh, you know what's actually just mentioned here, just uh, just like a quick summary of the of the point that Maggie wanted to get across. And it's really just that you know, you know the blog came out in the blog format, uh, kind of became dominant in two thousand one, and so since that format kind of became uh, uh, dominant, you know since it became dominant, you know, everyone kind of just followed along. So now pretty much everyone puts their their knowledge in reverse chronological order. But of course, there's really no reason to do that. You know, the web is kind of meant for people to explore, navigate, and uh, really express themselves. So, you know, it's one of those interesting things. It's when you know you see like a dominant format, and it's like, well, technically, no one has to follow it, but it just becomes so, excuse me, recognized that everyone kind of just falls in line. And so, that's one of the the things that happened when. Uh, when, uh, as it's called, the chronological sort era <laughs> came, you know, kind of killed off any of these other uh, formats, which didn't really uh, uh, fit it. So, you know, all the randomness of the, like the early web was, you know, kind of kind of kicked out. You know, people making their websites kind of kicked out. Uh, you know, so moving to more standardized uh, standardized uh, excuse me standardization. <laughs> Finally got it. Uh, so that's kind of what was uh, going on then. Excuse me. And then, uh, you know, another uh, update. So 2019-2020, more people are moving to digital going. So Sean Wang, uh, or Sean Wan, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I pronounced it correctly the first or the second time. Uh, Sean Wang comes up with uh, the digital going terms of service, talking about how People should uh, interact with digital gardens. Uh, Anne Larry uh, uh, I probably just mispronounced on like horribly. And I apologize. <laughs> uh, published a guide to set up a no-code digital garden. And then the DND Web uh, community hosted a pop-up session just to discuss uh, complex books, personal wikis, and memory palaces. And in late 2020, MIT Tech Review put up a short piece uh, about digital gardens, or about you know, cultivating your own little part of uh, of the internet. So that's a, a really uh, cool part, uh, cool thing. Just you know, going through the history, which I really liked, just showing that you know the idea has been evolving, you know, changed a little <laughs> bit uh, from the 90s, but it's kind of kind of getting back there. Uh, you know, still somewhat dealing with naviga navigable spaces, but uh, now let's focus a little bit more on just uh, the knowledge uh, accumulation. So it's something that's uh, very cool, and so, uh, and so at least with that, there is this uh, the no code article by Andler. Uh, oh yeah, I completely yeah, I I'm absolutely destroying this person's name. And I apologize, uh, Andler uh, Lacanf. So, I, you know, if you do want to set up your own uh, digital garden, you can use this article to uh, to do it. And you can uh, use some no-code. Uh, that's not really no-code, it's more like stack site generators. So, uh, 
you don't necessarily need to know a lot, but uh, but uh, you can still uh, uh, do it. Uh, so you can use like a uh, so just mention it's like you, know, you can use uh, Roam, uh, Notion, uh, Tiddlywikey for the no code, and so one of the big most important things for like uh, uh, for digital guardians like you need some bidirectional links, so forward and backwards. And you know, if you do want a custom one, you can use the stack site generator, uh, which are you know, I would say preferred. You know, I would not uh, uh, really, you know, no code ones are fine, but st there's kind of <sighs> there's kind of a problem with that. You know, to me, with digital gardens, and this goes back to just tools for thought in general, or anything regarding thought space, or anything involving second brains. Really, to me, the most important thing is that people should always have a local option. Or a way to own, uh, you know, their second brains. Because you know, it's not necessarily a problem for a second brain to be hosted on someone else's, you know, server or uh, you know, infrastructure. But you still need to have, you know, a lot of control over it. Uh, and so, at least to me, if you put it on something that's kind of like one of these no-code ones, uh, Notion, Tillywiki, you know, they're all fine. But the problem with Notion is that technically Notion owns uh, your digital garden. Because it's not not just because it's on their servers, but because they own everything that's put on their server. So they kind of want to, you know, what they want to do with it, they can kind of do whatever they want. Uh, so, you know, just saying that's, you know, that's something that's, you know, does irk me just a little bit about, uh, about using some of these no-code solutions because you might not get the, uh, the ownership side or the local first side. That I think is one of the most appreciated parts of uh, of a digital garden is really just the fact that it's yours and it's your little space uh, on the internet. And so with that, uh, going you know going back to the article, sorry for the quick tangent, well related tangent, but uh, you know so what really led you know what's led to digital garden kind of you know starting to uh, you know, to pick up. And so, timing-wise, it just happens to be a lot of things coming up at the same time. So, generally, with you know how everything usually occurs, is a lot of, you know a lot of uh, things going on in different places, uh, which all just uh, are working something a little bit related, and then converging, and then boom, there you go. Here's this uh, here's this uh, new thing that's popping up, or at least the reemergence of an old thing. <laughs> so, uh, so. Magus is really uh, nice little passage here, where uh, you know talking about this uh, uh, coincidence. So uh, I'll just uh, I'll just uh, quote the passage here. So quote uh, the timing coincided with the flu with a few complementary ideas and communities rallying around personal knowledge systems, you know taking practices and reimagining tools for blogging. The scene was ripe for new ideas around curating and sharing personal knowledge online. Many of the people who jumped on the early Digital Guardian bandwagon were part of communities like the Indie Web Collective, users of the note-taking app Room Research, uh, followers of Tiago Forte's Building a Second Brain course, and people rallying around the Learn and Public ethos. Uh, end quote. And so I did uh, exclude some of the uh, some of the text there. I just kind of stuck with the main points from uh, from uh, from the bullet points. But uh, so that's pretty much what's led to uh, this you know, reemergence of this old idea. And so uh, going from there, there's also you know, uh, 
uh, Mega Man's just the point about developer-led gardening. Uh, so, you know, to, you know, to really do digital gardening, you know, f- uh, you know for, at least for developers, it's not necessarily, you know, that crazy of a thing. Because, you know, if you have the, the knowledge of, uh, of HTML, CSS, CSS JN, JS, and KML, also has to be, like, non-trivial, so you actually really do need to know this stuff. You can kind of get your own site up and running. Uh, so, you know, with, uh, with that, it was a, definitely a lot easier for, uh, for developers to develop their own digital cards rather than just, uh, uh, you know, non-developers or, I mean, even technically citizen developers. Uh, not really sure that's, you know, that's, a, that's the term being used, but I've seen it for people who aren't developers but do sometimes use, uh, you know, uh, software development tools to develop uh, software, uh, so for example, you know, using uh, kind of like a stack site generator to develop your website, even if you're not an actual like developer. So yeah, one of those. And so, I think it makes a good point that you know, web development has you know really improved since <laughs> uh, you know since excuse me, this is two thousands. Really helping that you know now there are a lot of tools out there which can help you just get a site up and running. So, you know, you got, like, Netlify and Vercel, uh, and, uh, you know, for deployments, and then for stack site generators, Jekyll, Gatsby, Eleventy, uh, Next, uh, also Hugo, which was seemingly missing, but, I mean, there's also a couple others. <laughs> and so, uh, this kind of helps, uh, you know, for people, uh, so that there's, you know, some middle ground between having to, you know, uh, make all this stuff yourself and having to stick with like WordPress or Squarespace, which kind of forces you into certain design patterns. And so, you know, developers were first, but now you got regulars, users, noting enthusiasts, uh, you know, all coming uh, to, uh, to this idea of digital gardening. So, uh, so that's been a, a really nice, I think that's also one of the things that's, you know, helps with the reemergence, just, you know, just having, you know, different kinds of people all coming to this idea. Uh, so, you know, so the real nice part is that, uh, uh, as Megan mentioned, there are a lot of, you know, uh, no-code or low-code tools to really help, uh, you know, non-developers uh, just come in and develop their own digital gardens. And so there's a nice little shout-out uh, for uh, for some of my uh, favorite tools, Obsidian, Tiddlywiki, and Notion. Uh, so, you know, they have a lot of really great features, especially bi-directional links. Uh, so, you know, that's really most important. So a bi-directional link, you know, goes, you know, both ways. So it links forward and links backwards. So they have a, like, you know, if you're on Twitter, and you know you follow someone, uh, you following someone uh, is a forward link from you to the to the person you're going forward. And so that was great. Now, if uh, that person uh, who's following you, who you followed, follows you back, now that's a backlink. So now you can go forwards and backwards. So you know, someone jumps on my uh, on my Twitter. They can go forward to the person I followed, and since that person also follows me, they can go from them back to me. So now it's bi-directional. Now you can go both ways. You can go forward, 
and you can also go backwards. Uh, which is a little bit dis uh, different from generally how the web works, which is a little bit more monodirectional. So if I link, uh, so for example, if I link to you know uh, like Twitter on a, on a page, you know the page doesn't uh, you know the page links to Twitter, but my Twitter doesn't link to that page. So it's just you know one direction or just forward. So you know bidirectional linking uh, is uh, is pretty cool. And it's kind of been coming back up again. With uh, with Rome and some of these other uh, network thought tools, so you know, it's been cool to see. Very very uh, very cool to see. Yeah, and then Mega has this <laughs> uh, interesting passage just regarding the no code tools. I mean, it's just one of these things about no code tools is that you're you know you're always going to be a little bit trapped uh, by the no code tools because of just their design choices. So you know, you're always you know kind of stuck. Uh, well, your design choices are always going to be constrained just because of that's how the no-code tool itself was uh, was designed. So, you know, you're all stuck with their uh, architecture. And so, uh, you know, my thoughts is that, you know, she still feels that, you know, some of these no-code tools are still a little too cookie-cutter. You know, they don't really let, allow people to, ex you know, design how they want to, their uh, information architecture and the spatial layouts. So it kind of just forces you into a, you know, a pre-made design. So I think that's something that she hopes uh, you know, in the future that there will be uh, at least you know, a little bit uh, easier ways for people to you know, define their uh, information architecture themselves and have more uh, layout choices or at least have the ability to, the, uh, to uh, design uh, more layouts. And so to defining a digital garden, <laughs> which is, uh, uh, you know, uh, which seems to be a, you know, kind of a hard thing just given you know, just the changes in the in the term. Do I do feel that Caulfield's uh, uh, definition kind of feels you know, to me feels pretty good. You know, it's uh, it's got good depth, but at the same time, lots of lots of uh, applications of flexibility. So yeah, I, I really like it. And then uh, Maggie goes on about you know just like how do we define digital grind? You know, uh, you know, uh, you know. So like what qualifies this one, where the other is, uh, whatnot. And so, uh, so Maggie made up, uh, or at least uh, uh, put together, you know, uh, let's see here, yeah, a couple of, uh, of principles. I think it's, uh, let's see here. Yeah, I think it's about six principles. Yeah, six principles altogether, which uh, help define what is or uh, is not a uh, a digital garden? So you know, by using these six principles, you should be able to uh, uh, help uh, you know figure out whether you know to say you're looking at a digital garden or not. So the first uh, first guiding principle is topography over timelines, uh, which of course relates to the fact that gardens are organized based on contextual relationships, associations, rather than just solely based on chronological order. So, uh, so pretty much anything that's like a bi-directional link, uh, kind of, uh, pretty much kind of solves that for you. So, you know, lots of different ways to, uh, to connect things. So, uh, yeah, lots and lots of, uh, different ways to also make it a little easier to, uh, to explore, uh, people's knowledge bases. And so the second principle is continuous growth. So with the garden, uh, it's constantly grown 
constantly changing, constantly evolving. Uh, so it never, it's never, you know, quite final. It's all uh, a work in progress. So instead of having like articles and essays, it's just, you know, it's just straight notes and, you know, it's like everything can be, uh, you know, everything can be revised and expanded. So there's, there are no final versions when it comes to, a uh, to a garden since you're, Technically, your thoughts should always be evolving. Uh, and so, you know, uh, and so, Manga makes this really interesting point, just to talk about the difference between, you know, blo <laughs> uh, blogs and, uh, and gardens, and she calls them performance blogs, blog land and garden land. So in uh, performance blog land, you know, you do all the thinking privately, and then put, uh, you know, only show the final moments, which of course is the article, but in Garden Land, the process of, you know, the thinking is just done in public on the on the internet. So everything's out there in the open. So even before the article comes out, people can just see uh, how you got there and where you're going. And so a couple of the benefits that come along with going with the gardening approach is that, you know, uh, you, know you free yourself from having to get everything right uh, immediately. Low friction. Uh, you know, you only got to put in a small amount of effort and you will know, grow eventually in time. And uh, lastly, it gives your readers uh, insights into how, into your writing and thinking process. And most probably, you know, it does, it does show that you're imperfect, uh, which leads to the third principle, uh, which is imperfection and learning in public. So since gardens are open to anyone, you know, they're imperfect. So, you know, so people who come and see your, uh, your garden are gonna see that You've got some imperfections, so you gotta be uh, willing to uh, allow people to uh, see how uh, imperfect you are. So I, you know, I kind of do like that uh, that principle. It's just you know, just being a little bit okay, uh, you know, uh, with uh, uh, with your own uh, imperfections. And uh, maybe this maybe makes this really a nice point is that gardens are you know, right in the of, you know, either you know amounts of chaos and uh, and cultivation. So chaos, you got like Twitter and just things are just flying. But then cultivation, uh, uh, you know, then it's just like you know, final books, final research papers, and then digital grants are a little bit in between, just a little bit. So right between you know, all this craziness and uh, and perfection, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I just thought that was an interesting one and. Uh, you know, so going along with it, uh, with principle three, you know, also learn in public is the fact that you can show what you're learning and, you know, how you're learning it, how you're constantly improving, uh, all in public. Uh, so since, uh, you know, all the notes are imperfect, uh, one of the things that, uh, that make a mess is, is, you know, probably, you know, just adding a label, uh, to, uh, to your notes just uh, letting people know what their current status is. So like, you know, is it done? Is it in progress? Uh, you know, how much time have you put in? Yeah, so, and then, uh, and maybe is that this could really help with like making a categorization system. So with hers, you know, it's, you know, it goes with like a horticultural metaphor, which I think kind of makes sense for a digital garden. So a ceilings for rough, uh, very rough and early ideas. Uh, budding for work uh, that's been cleaned up and clarified, evergreen for work that's reasonably complete. And you know, clean the dates for when uh, you know when you uh, uh, 
uh, started the idea and when you last got to the idea. And so an interesting thing is also adding epistemic status on posts. So just, you know, how much time you've put in and, you know, just showing, you know, how much work you put in, how much time you put in. Uh, so I just thought that was uh, really, uh, really interesting to, to have. And so there's an example given with, uh, from a guern.net, uh, G-W-E-R-N dot N-E-T. And there, uh, you know, every entry includes topic tags, start and end date, a stage tag, which is a draft and progress or finish, a certainty tag, impossible, <laughs> unlikely certain, etc., and a one to ten importance tag. So I thought, you know, I just like that uh, the idea of having epistemic status, just letting people have a little more information about how you're thinking, how you're writing, and that, you know, what stage you know, your uh, current ideas are at. Yeah, yeah, I really just like the the use of it, and. Also, she mentions that uh, that uh, uh, Devin Sugal, you know, another uh, noble digital gardener, makes a case for what he calls uh, lazy epist epistemic statuses. So just you know, kind of uh, lazily putting your epistemic stuff, you know, all together. <laughs> so really, only you know, putting it when you when, when is there, really putting it when it's there, and. Also mentioning Sean uh, Wang uh, at Swix, uh, you know, terms of service, which Maggie really likes. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a really nice uh, document. Just explain, just like, oh, you know, if you're visitor, you know, what you what you should expect, and if you're gardener, what to expect, and just letting people know, like, uh, you know, that there are imperfections, that these are all, like work in progress. Uh, you know, there's feedback, how they respond to it. Uh, so got like three things for gardeners and three things for visitors from the digital gardens uh, terms of service for gardeners uh, first consideration of others second epistemic disclosure third response to feedback and then for visitors it's first right to be wrong second constructive criticism and third attribute don't plagiarize which you know at least to me seems pretty self-explanatory so you know really interesting and then the fourth principle is playful personal experimental so with digital gardens, they should all pretty much be unique. So we can all start from the same idea, but where we take it from there, it's always going to be different because we're all, you know, individuals. And so, you know, and one of the interesting points that uh, Megan makes is that since uh, gardens are kind of like personal websites, allows us to, uh, you know, really question that, like, what is a personal website? And experiment uh, as much as we uh, really like. And so, you know, by having these hyper-personalized gardens, uh, I says that this, you know, at least one of the goals of having, you know, gardens is that we can have deep uh, contextualization. So this allows us to uh, really, like, add some of our uh, social norms and cultural identities back, uh, you know, back to the web so that you can have social spaces where it's, like, all it's clear to see where, you know, the cultural identity and uh, some of the social norms that, you know, a person has, which is something you don't really get to see on, you know, major social networks, you know, like Twitter or Facebook, you know, very, you know, they pretty much kind of, uh, you know, take away all these, uh, all these social constructs around, you know, norms, identity, 
uh, which you know, I mean, it makes it easier to you know, run a big ass network, but <laughs> but uh, you know, it also does you know, technically at least you know, mention an article that kind of uh, harms us because it kind of you know, uh, tears away all the, the backgrounds, you know, our backgrounds, our beliefs, you know, so we don't really get to know uh, people just from examining their uh, uh, their profiles on Facebook or Twitter. And nor do we necessarily know how to interact with them because we don't necessarily know uh, the social norms or uh, or their uh, or the cultural expectations that we should uh, we should have for interacting with them. So guardians, you know, really allow us to express ourselves and wait for other people to see how we express ourselves so that they can see how to, you know, personally uh, interact, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, well with gardeners, but you know so we can learn to also interact with each other. Okay, so the fifth principle is intercropping and content diversity. So, you know, with, uh, with, with Guardians, you know, it's not very, uh, you try to run away from linearization and from just using text. You know, so you should be able to add first like any, you know, media types of podcasts, videos, uh, illustrations, you know, pretty much anything should be allowed to be uh, allowed uh, in to the digital garden. So, you know, not just writing, but you know, pretty much anything, any type of media. So, you know, that's a you know the principle I really like, just allowing you know a lot of uh, expressiveness in the in the garden. And then the sixth principle, uh, and as I mentioned earlier with ownership, the sixth principle here is independent ownership. <laughs> so, gardening is really about having your own little piece of the web, which is one you fully own and control. And uh, Megan Madison's, you know, not, you know, you don't really want your piece of the web living on the service of Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Medium. So, you know, I kind of really do see your point there uh, about that because, you know, as I mentioned, there can be some problems because, you know, they own it, they can, I mean, saying that they could, kick you out and deny you access, share with people you don't necessarily want to be shared with, or if they get shut down and they take down servers, all your files might be gone. So, you know, a lot of things can happen when uh, other people, well, when your uh, uh, your personal knowledge gets uh, stored on other people's servers. So, and that's one of the things that uh, Maggie mentions that can happen. It's like, well, you know, just in case they ever shut down. <laughs> And then, you know, a couple other problems too. It's like, you know, even if you can get the data, you know, as it's in a transferable format, might not be, you know, there might not be an easy way to export your data. Uh, so just makes the point of, you know, try to avoid uh, 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 walled gardens and just stick with interoperable systems or open-ended systems. So kind of just the basic web tech, you know, that's something that's a detriment systems. Uh, so, you know, like just independently owning you know, your digital gardens. Uh, I don't think, uh, well, I, well, I do think ownership is important. You know, it might not necessarily be the best case for everyone. So it's not, you know, I wouldn't say it's the biggest thing, but, uh, but uh, you know, just having the option of, uh, of owning uh, your own digital garden, I think, is uh, really nice. As we uh, Mega mentions, you know, just you know, using. Uh, you know, basic web tech and also just saving your files as uh, markdown files 
you know, which is, you know, really the most effective way to do it. It's, you know, it's just like saving the files, uh, you know, on, on the machine you own or at least have some authority over the access. And uh, also just making sure that, uh, you know, that's your garden space in the open web so that that way, you know, anyone can access it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it makes a nice little, uh, points about uh, uh, about paywalls is that uh, you know we all know what you know new tech will come up in in the future and hopefully you know it won't be behind a, a medium paywall <laughs> uh, so I'm uh, sorry so not just like tech but also you know uh, you know gardens and uh, you know new design parents new works but uh, you know <laughs> just showing that you know she's not a big fan of these wall gardens I think a lot of people aren't necessarily a big fan of the, the walled gardens. And so, you know, uh, and, you know, just to end the article, uh, uh, Megan makes a really good point about, you know, like, what's the definition of digital gardening? And things, no one owns the definition. You know, it's a word, it's a term which anyone can really define. And so, of course, when it comes to any word, it's about common usage, really. And so, yeah, I just like the fact that she just mentioned there, just like, well, here's this term, but like, I don't own the term. <laughs> I'm just using the term, and you know, just like the rest of us, this is a term for us to uh, to define and uh, and to continue to uh, expand upon as uh, as uh, you know as we evolve and have these new tools and new ways of uh, of understanding how we accumulate uh, personal knowledge. So uh, a really great. Uh, Great article. Uh, so that was uh, a brief history and at those of the digital garden by Maggie Apleton. You know, great article and it's actually pretty funny, but she also has their uh, epistemic uh, information <laughs> included the article as well. So uh, it's really nice to uh, see that uh, included there. Yeah, so this is a great article. Uh, I'll include the link with uh, with the episode. You know, hopefully you enjoyed me uh, rambling on about uh, digital gardens. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, uh, please send an email to ledgerbeck at gmail.com or uh, post a reply uh, to this uh, to this episode. You can also send us a voice message. Um, uh, I also include a, a voice message link uh, on the episode, so you can also send us a voice message too. Uh, you can also find us on Discord, Slack, uh, Twitter. You know, just search Ledgerback. You know, we, I think we're the only ones with like the name. And so, uh, once again, I'm Charles Ojovu. You can find me on Twitter at C-A-D-J-O-V-U. Uh, I'm with the Ledgerback Digital Commons Research Cooperative. Uh, find uh, Ledgerback on Twitter at Ledgerback. And uh, you know, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, and hopefully you come by for uh, for the next one.